I drink till the night comes another day and the day's just another little thing in our way. There's something about the way you beat me down that I'll never learn. You're the pint of no return. The pain in my chest, the stain on your dress, the glass in my eye. But this life is a joke and death is the punch. I Extreme Horror Podcast. This is your weird book mom, Marion, bringing you the final Hidden Voices of Horror panel episode for this season. I have been lucky enough to be joined by some remarkable guests this year. We've had amazing discussions. But this week, we're finally getting to a conversation that I have been waiting to have for months now. Today, I am joined by an incredible group of authors and reviewers from the African-American and Hispanic Latin communities to discuss their views regarding the representation of minority cultures within the horror genre. Hello! Hello! Oh, we've got a good vibe going. I love you, beautiful people. I'm taking my thousand now. Oh, yeah! (laughs) Well, first, allow me to make some introductions here. My first guest is independent horror author and all-around wonderful human being, Darnell Grant. Darnell writes under the pen name D.E. Grant. His book, Cursed Cursed Plantation, and you can see a poster for it behind him there if you're watching us on YouTube. This was one of the best books I had the pleasure of reading during Godless's 31 Days of Godless event last October. This book is amazing. I absolutely loved the way it took... uh, culture and spirituality and empowered your female protagonist and just turned her into this force of vengeance that was just could not could not be fought against I absolutely loved this book thank you so much for being here thank you thank you Marion thank you oh you are so honor definitely it's a pleasure and honor up next is remarkable authoress paula ash paula's book we are here to hurt each other it was an absolute revelation for me i'm just gonna tell you this was like one i I read this book probably like what at this point paula back in february maybe even january you were one of the first readers like you were one of the first readers to get an arc so yeah So y'all, I was buried in advanced reading copies Mm -hmm. at that point in time. And there was something about this book. I was like, I need to read it. I need to read it. So I bumped it to the very top of my list and I just jumped right in. Holy crap. I'm going to tell you right now, this is probably going to be in my top 10 of 2022. Most likely either in first or second place again my friend you and eric larocker are gonna be fighting for, for first place but- you know, yeah 
Wow, that's a good company, Paula. That is that's an amazing <laughs> yeah. company. I adore Most Eric Rossa, so I'm completely flattered right now. That's rad. Very that's so rad. similar writing style. So if you do enjoy Eric LaRocca, you will also enjoy Paula's writing. Just what's what's the title of your book, Paula? The title? It's We Are Here to Hurt Each Other. And it's mm. on Amazon. And I, I saw the, the, the poster for Curse Plantation, and then I just heard Marion talk about it. And I'm like, let me make a note of that bad mm-hmm. boy. Cause <laughs> oh, yeah. it's so Just to let you know, like- just to let everyone know, Cursed Legacy is out there, too. It's a follow-up to <laughs> Cursed Plantation. Oh, okay. It's out there. It's available. I have it loaded on my Kindle. I've had it loaded in my Kindle since the day it came out. I'm so book stressed. And like I, I go through my Kindle library and I'm like, I need to read it. 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 And I do that 500 times. And it's terrible. <laughs> but it's in there and I'm ready. So the third person we have on panel here today is Dread Central film reviewer and expert on Hispanic and Latin horror film, Mikey Peralta Jr. Mikey, Mikey Mikey is awesome. He has been a TikTok buddy of mine for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. I'm super grateful you agreed to join us for this conversation today. We very much have a shared love of horror film. Um, he started posting about Jodorowsky and I was like, oh, I'm here for this conversation. This is one of my all-time favorite favorite filmmakers. Santa Sangra is one of the most incredible films I've ever seen in my life. I just, oh, I love it. And I'm a huge (laughs) horror film fanatic. So I am so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Yes. And then finally, I have my fellow TikTok, Instagram, Facebook book reviewer, Jesse Morales. You can find Jesse on TikTok as Words on Paper Official. We have mm-hmm. become pretty good buddies over the last month or so. And I am so <laughs> excited to have you here. Well, thank you for inviting. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I really appreciate all of you being willing to do this. You know, I have to say the only reason we are doing this panel last, because this is one of the conversations I have been the most eager to have. I thought this panel was going to be super easy to fill you guys. It was incredibly challenging. It took me a long time to get people to agree to come and do this. It was not like the other panels. I'm still not sure why. I don't know if it's because, you know, within the Hispanic and African-American communities, if the fan base just isn't as large, as active, as visible as with the other, like women, LGBTQIA, the mental health community. But this was a lot more challenging than I really thought it would be. And that's still kind of shocking to me. I'm also, before we move on, I do have to verbalize my own personal disappointment. I was unable to find anyone from any of the Asian cultures to who was available to join us in this conversation today. Um, I know that at, on the surface, I very much look like your stereotypical white lady. I am actually (laughs) 50% 
Talcan Mongolian. So I am, I am a, a Asian. <laughs> I am a white Asian. And I was really, whole, I'm a Asian. I was telling Mikey, I am 50% Mongolian. I am like one of Genghis Khan's many, 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 many great grandbabies. <laughs> and the other half of my blood is straight up Norse Viking. <laughs> I chose like, if you ever wow. wonder why this girl That's likes violence, because <laughs> it's in the genetics. But I was really hoping right. that I might be able to find somebody from the Taiwanese, Filipino, <laughs> Japanese, Korean, uh, a Mandarin cultures to join us. And, you know, that was the hardest. I, I was not successful. So um, I am so grateful for all of you to be here with me. <laughs> so Thank you. The same way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's kick this off. I would really like for us first to discuss about what each of you recognizes your first exposure to horror and what it was about that book or film or comic series or whatever it was. What was it about that particular work that ignited your fascination and love for this genre? It doesn't matter who goes first, whoever's willing to just jump in. <laughs> um, well, um, we, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, for me, um, the early 80s was my introduction into horror, um, kind of at the height of when we got a little bit of everything, satanic panic, um, vampires. And so for me, movies like The Lost Boys, Nightmare on Elm Street, were basically my first introductions into horror and have been into horror ever since. I think with the Lost Boys, it kind of made it cool. You're a vampire and I grew up in San Jose, California. I was actually born out there, which is right next to where they filmed oh, the yeah. boardwalk scenes and stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Heck yeah, being that close to the area really helped out a lot. Oh my God, I bet it did. How about you, other friends? <laughs> well, for me, oh, my oh, oh. my. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, well, for me, my exposure was a little earlier than that. I'm a little older than you all guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> my first exposure, my first exposure was was to um, to Firestarter by Stephen <gasps> King. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And, that's a good one. The, was it the book or the movie? The book, actually, I read the book first before I saw the movie. Um, the Exorcist, um, mm. that that Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. So you know, I'm, you know, I'm 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 up in age. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, but those things got me into it. Um, it was those kinds of movies. Um, the Entity, um, The Manitou by Graham Masterton. Yes. That got me. That got me into into horror, and I've been stuck there ever since. Um, it's 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 horror. I like the screams. I like the the jump scares. <laughs> those kinds of things. Um, yeah. That's the thing that's been stuck in my mind. And the biggest thing for me is that you have to get my attention immediately. That's how I write. I get my I get your attention from the first page. 
And those movies, those things got my got my interest from the beginning. Absolutely. Even the Omen, the Omen was absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, you're the first person this entire season who has mentioned the film The Manitou. And it has probably been at least 20, 25 years since I watched that movie. I'm like in my mid 40s, believe it or not. Stop betraying your age. Stop <laughs> betraying your age. <laughs> you're right. You're right. But even though it's been that long since I saw that movie, I was Oh, it may have even been longer ago than that because I was pretty young when I saw it. That transformation scene with like the ripping of the skin and that was one of the most terrifying things I had ever seen in my life uh, up to that point. Like I will never forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Mikey, Paula, what about you guys? Um, I'll go ahead. So yeah, go ahead. I saw I, I I begged my mom to let me watch A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. And I was five years old. And my mom was wow. like, okay, you can watch this movie. But I'm going to cover your face on all the scary parts. <laughs> You didn't see any of the movie, did you? <laughs> I, I I maybe saw like 13 seconds of that whole movie because like, that whole, like we were on the couch and my mom literally like if I'm if I'm me and my mom's hands are you know my mom these are my mom's hands like the whole movie was just like this like that's how I watched a nightmare but I saw enough I saw enough glimpses of Freddy Krueger. But I had nightmares about it for about him for weeks. Because I all I knew, I didn't realize the whole plot. I just saw like flashes of this monstrous burn figure mm-hmm. with knives for hands. And again, I was five, and so I, my imagination just ran. And so I think the like the story <laughs> I made of what Freddie was versus what Freddie actually was in the narrative yeah. were two wildly different things. But that process of my brain just kind of running away with it like I was I was just hooked it was hook line or sink like hook line and sinker from from jump um and that movie made such a mark on me that to this day I'm in my early 40s so we're all just aging ourselves out here yeah. um, <laughs> um I still this day to this day if I'm particularly stressed like I can measure my stress level with if I have a nightmare about Freddy Krueger, because that's when I, like, that's, that's, that's oh. way back. Like, it got, it's got to dig deep. Like, I'm like, okay, if I'm having nightmares wow. about Freddy Krueger, like, stuff's going, I gotta, I gotta talk to somebody <laughs> or, like, go for a walk or something, because, yeah, but it, it, it made that deep of a mark, and that was it. That was that's- it for me one heck of a childhood trauma response right there. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like, as soon as life gets stressful, I dream about Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I should probably tell him, like, I'd probably talk to a professional about that, but I mean, well, just talk to Freddie. He'll be all right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Freddie is a good talker. Freddie's a good communicator. So, I can yeah, see you in your dreams just enough. being like, you! You get the fuck out of here, motherfucker. You gotta go. You gotta go, bro. No. I'm not that stressed. <laughs> it's fine, Freddie. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You leave. Mikey, tell us about it. Uh, so, yeah. So, I had a pretty weird upbringing. Um, it was, like, very taboo to watch horror films growing up. Um, Same. So, I, I did get to watch, like, um, well, I guess I'm going to date myself here, too. Um, probably the youngest one here. I I'm in my late twenties, so when I was 
eh, probably like around eight, the the remake for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. And oh, I remember, yes. mm. yeah, so I remember watching that one and <laughs> at my cousin's house. And on the way home, like, um, I was like, I kept on looking in the backseat, like, is he there? He's laying down there, huh? And it just, it, it stuck with me. And little by little, I would just try to watch, you know, like I ended up watching The Fly later on. And then like scream mm. and um yeah and then in yeah. high school when you know i wasn't under the constant um like look from my parents i was i was finally able to like watch evil dead and that's just oh right all God, just flourished yeah <laughs> you know the fly that's another movie that people haven't mm-hmm. talked about did you, yet did you watch the, was that the original version or the one with jeff goldblum i don't with that jeff goldblum mm. okay yeah mm-hmm. the one in the it, 50s was actually pretty good too oh yeah yes. But mm-hmm. that Jeff Goldblum movie, I, the the body horror, I, yes. and now thinking about it, like the connection between like the body horror and the fly and the body horror and the Manitou, I will never forget the scene where he like snaps the guy's arm in half in the fly yeah. Yeah. and they just like show it on screen. I was probably <laughs> like nine or 10 when that movie first came out. And I remember seeing it and being like, okay, bye. <laughs> doing this anymore. and it just my, gets worse from there and it does it just gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> my first one was uh night of the living dead and it was one of those mm. uh, we also we, mm-hmm. we didn't really watch a lot of horror movies when we were little as we got older mm-hmm. my parents were more flexible we weren't allowed to watch the simpsons but my dad got us like amityville horror at one point in time i, <laughs> <laughs> I know right right but i caught that original 1967 night of the living dead uh in black and white on in syndication on tv one day and that was amazing it. yeah oh, you, betrayed, you are portraying your age again i know, I know. <laughs> uh, but it was from that moment forward like for years and i don't even know where the concept came into my mind but somewhere as a child i think somebody had told me that if you don't hold your breath when you drive past graveyards mm. like the dead will follow you home and my bread my brain related that to the zombies literally oh, probably like five six years afterwards i held my breath every time we went past the cemetery because i was terrified (laughs) well i don't know if mikey does this but like growing up catholic um anytime we pass a church we have to make the insignia of the cross Mm. whenever we pass a church and that's to make sure that you stay blessed and you know you bless yourself and stuff so (laughs) kind of still do you still do it? It's kind of like muscle memory. You're driving past the Catholic church. You're like, heck yeah. I used to. I, used to. I, I ain't taking now. the damn chances. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get to the end of my line and find out this stuff was real. Or well, you don't want to be like Damien and have a fit. Yeah, no, right. absolutely. <laughs> this is all for you, Damien. <laughs> love me some Damien, that's oh for my sure. Gosh, I love that movie. All right, my dudes, let's jump in right here and now into a really like hot topic. Let's talk stereotypes and tropes. This stuff drives me absolutely literally bazonkers here we are in 2022 and i feel like these things are still so pervasive in the art that we are getting from the horror communities so like the first one right off the bat do you have melanin in your skin yes oh sorry you're gonna die 
<laughs> you, you, you will yeah. be the first to die. Yes, yeah. Yeah. you will be you one will be of the first, first to, die. to die. You know, um, what? It, oh, complex, complex magazine, which is was started by the gentleman who founded Echo Unlimited. He had his journalists do a research study that showed that um, it was still like 90% of color or um, African-American characters would be the first to die in horror films and horror books. Yes. And here we are, 2022, and that is still the Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. it is. And that I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Well, I feel like that's movies' way, like to bring the comic relief. Is they're using them as a comic relief, and then like, okay, we're done. I mean, that's a, you know, with movies way back in the eighties, like Nightmare Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They have the comic relief, you know, mm-hmm. and that was a great character. And then you go and kill him off, especially in the next movie, number four. He was mm-hmm. in there for like five minutes, and then he was done. I was like, dude, that would be a great character to carry throughout the story yep. to make a hero. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand that either. Absolutely, one of my there favorite is. characters from last year was the little neighbor kid in uh, Halloween Kills. <laughs> He's so funny. Yeah. He was the <laughs> he was. best written character I have seen in a horror movie in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I was so terrified that something bad was going to happen to him simply because he was played by an African-American actor. Mm-hmm. I was like, do not kill this child. I swear to God, I will jump through this screen and I will take care of this shit <laughs> myself. He is the best. The best. Mm-hmm. Such realistic re- reaction. It, 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 seems like, it seems like all the, all the horror movies, especially in the 80s, they have the certain, you know, you get a group of kids together and, and then there's this one black person who nine times out of 10 does not have a black girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He has, he has right. a white girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and then there are a bunch of kids to get together and sooner or later, he makes a stupid decision and goes out there where the sound is and <laughs> has a horrible death. Yep. Let's get in the shed yep. with the chainsaws, not the yeah. regular car. <laughs> which, is, right, which is not, you know, sort of like I don't know. I, I I don't want to speak. I don't mean to speak in like generalities, but I know you know for me culturally, I'm the last person to go investigate a strange sound. I'm not going. Somebody, else, I'm not. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're not like standing in the middle of the cornfield, Paula, going, "Oh man, the intoxicating <laughs> sounds of a chainsaw. I must follow it." Oh no, I'm not. But um, but I think like yeah, I mean, so you know, we've all been talking about the movies that we've grown up watching, and I remember um, just it was the the thing, the movie that really changed for me and allowed me to see myself. Not say it was the first one, but the um, 1990 film Tales from the Crib Demon Night where then mm. just Jada Pinkett was um, you know the main yeah. protagonist the final girl um, mm-hmm. in that film and it was like holy shit we can live through the whole movie and like be the hero and, and she's a girl like you know like that meant so that meant so much to me so you know we've had a very long history particularly within like African-American culture and like um, representation in the media and in horror media where there have been like main characters who have 
you know, the plot has hinged on them. I mean, it's happened a few times. And then Jordan mm-hmm. Peele happened, and that really, like, Jordan Peele changed oh, yeah. the game. But, like, even, yeah. like, you know, even, like, Marion, like you were saying, and Darnell, like you were saying, like, again, it's still 2022, and we still have this happening. And so it's it's almost as if it's just, like, people – I don't, I mean, I can't speak for other people, but it seems to me as a viewer and as like a reader, people just don't know how to write outside of those stereotypes and outside of those tropes. Um, yeah. yeah. And I don't know why that is because there's plenty of material available to like, I don't know, to like guide you on how to not do that. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's strange to me. It's strange that that still happens now um given the success of you know stuff like lovecraft country and Uh, people in charge though the uppers are the ones that are seeing this material and they're like "Mm, no this isn't relatable yeah exactly and i think that's where we need to change too is from the top also so it'll trickle on down and have that representation it's almost like that subconscious, well, this is the way we've always done it. Right. Phenomena, mm-hmm. isn't it? Like, this is just the way that things have always been written. This is what works. Let's not rock the boat. Yeah. You yeah. know, when I was doing more research on these particular issues within the genre, I discovered quite a few research studies that indicated that Hispanic and Latin people are absolutely without a doubt the most underrepresented Mm -hmm. population in horror film and literature and when they do appear they're commonly represented as what what do you think unintelligent comedic housemaids housemaids uh, aggressive overly sexual (laughs) unprofessional (laughs) cholos it's still blooded you know the hot-blooded latino women and yes Mm -hmm. yes completely illogical (laughs) but then when we want them when we want to use them in a way that will make them scary or frightening to the audience they're the bruja they're the shaman they're the one with the mythical magical powers and then of course going back to the african-american communities we Mm -hmm. then also have the voodoo priest and priestess Mm -hmm. we have um i'm sure you got we all we have all seen this one a million times the magical black godfather or godmother i think the Mm -hmm. first one we always think of is dick halloran in the shining Mm -hmm. The only yeah. person in the whole yeah. thing who knows exactly <laughs> what Danny's powers on. are, what's actually mm-hmm. happening, what he's up against. And then you got Tony characters. Todd and all like the Final Destination movies, too. Oh my yeah. god, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then that character is one of the few characters who doesn't die trying to save that white protagonist from their 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 battle. Right. Or from their, their antagonist. They almost always will sacrifice their lives for the white person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. pisses yeah. me off so bad. Pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But it happens over and over and over again. And I really do think I, that it's probably happening almost subconsciously at this point in time. For that. Well, I it, think that we, go I ahead. Think that we need a, I think we need a concerted effort. You know, we are, we are, what, 
pigeonholed. I think that is the term for it, that we have to follow a certain formula in order for us to be successful or for us to be, you know, commercially, commercially successful. So we follow mm. this pattern, follow this formula, we'll be getting the commercial success that we desire. And we, as, as people of color, of writers and authors and readers of color, we need to make that initiative to change that. Because if we don't change it, we're stuck with the same people at the top deciding what our formula is and how our people are betrayed or portrayed, excuse me. And that's the thing that we have to change. We have to change that because the people at the top are not going to change it because they're mm -hmm. looking at the dollar signs. They're looking at what will work and what makes money. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. You know, Tony Todd was one of the very first uh, African-American horror movie icons. Mm -hmm. He's the, the first one who really gained true fame and notoriety. Like, I mean, I can think like mm -hmm. Ken, Ken Foray did pretty well after like Dawn of the mm -hmm. Dead. And, you know, then Rob Zombie started to work with him a lot. But uh, Tony Todd is the one that everybody knows that face. Everybody knows yeah. the name. Yes. He's the candy yes. man. Yeah. Oh, that voice. He's the candy man. <laughs> like, he's an icon. And that was one of the first times I really remember things shifting a little. The only other ones I can think of is God bless George Romero. Oh, yeah. Going mm -hmm. All the way back to yeah. my very first, my very first mm -hmm. horror movie, Night of the Living Dead. Night Who is the, the hero? Who is the hero? It is Ben. Mm -hmm. Ben is the one that gets everybody through that experience. And then what happens to him at the end? He sacrifices his life for who? Yeah. The white, the white girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like George Romero kind of redeemed himself with Dawn of the Dead because Ken Foray's character flies off in the sunset sure. in that yeah. whirly bird. But at the same time, like that was the first time that we really saw a, a, a black protagonist like make it to the almost to the end. Almost. <laughs> I, and I, I watched, I watched the um, or I went, I watched the original Night of the Living Dead um last year, and I haven't, I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I was so surprised. Like even now, how many it is it. <laughs> It, it surprised me in a good way how many times like Dwayne how often Ben was just slapping white people back and forth. <laughs> like, yeah. I know like, he was slapping the shit out of everybody. And I was like, this is awesome. Because even now, I mean, like, like, yes, he sacrificed himself. Um yeah, he sacrificed himself kind I, you know, I, I don't remember the exact ending, but like he sacrificed himself at the end. But I think it was it was in addition to his, the, he survived I think it was also the way that he just had such a, a, a dignity like Ben was a very dignified character he was intelligent like he was the leader of the group mm -hmm. he was the smartest person and it's and it's almost like you know given obviously the the iconic success of Night of the Living Dead I, I again kind of like what's what we've all been saying like like why like that didn't become a template, and I can I can only suspect I can only you know presume the reason why that didn't become the template because it very well could have and should have in a lot of ways, um, 
to allow other people besides you know white men mm-hmm. to be the leaders like it's for the same reason you yes. know that every yes. you know it's it's all about like we've always we've done things we've always done things this way it's the expectation it's the audience you know uh the, the people the audience can relate to but clearly i mean people can relate to all sorts of folks if the characters are decently you know if they're well developed enough and we can like yeah root yes. for them yes. um so I also feel like that whole idea, like that explanation of, of relatability that a lot of like the people in the upper echelons of, of entertainment, you know, kind of hide behind. I kind of feel like that's also bullshit. Um, oh, yeah. Because clearly, like, you know, mm-hmm. we can relate to anybody if it's a, if it's a, you know, well-developed enough character. So. And, you know, when I think about it even deeper, I don't want to minimize the importance of Ben's character in Night of the Living Dead simply because he does lose his life at the end of the movie. I, part of his death is related to uh, saving Barbara. But mm-hmm. also when we consider who he comes up again at the end of the movie, even though the movie is set in Pittsburgh, the uh, large group of people that he comes up against are uh, it's it, a huge horde of good old boys in pickup trucks mm-hmm. with shotguns yep. and rifles. And he mm-hmm. knows full well, considering this was 90 or 66, 67, that mm-hmm. character knew full well that his chances in that moment weren't good anyways and they were probably yeah. going to use it as an excuse to take him out, out regardless <laughs> so that Romero was so ahead of his time in the way he really portrayed and represented an African-American character hey I, Ben was one of my first loves I just loved him so much well, um, he wasn't set to be the protagonist he just no. came in and nailed his part and Romero's like yes you got the part because you were the best man for the job not because the color of your skin and I feel like that's what we need more of is you're the best person for the job script you know scratch the pictures the headshots the names whatever and pick somebody based on what they're qualified for yeah and there you go absolutely you know and and one thing I I will add into that it will be just that well for me personally you know, just a secret amongst us. I almost, I, I almost wrote under a white-sounding name to be absolutely no! honest. I did because mm. of because of my my personal feeling about people of color in the horror genre. Right. I mean, very rarely do you find, you know, people of color. You know, the Latinos. Yes. And, and black yes. people writing in this horror genre. Yes. And I almost changed, I almost didn't even go by my name. I, I had seriously, I seriously, and I didn't want any pictures taken. No! I'm serious, dead serious. I did not want that because of the way, you know, we are portrayed in movies and in books. And, you know, we don't get the kind of success, if that is what your goal is, your success if you are like us, yeah. you don't get it. Very rarely do you get that success beyond the Stephen Kings, the, the Dean Kuntz's, the, the Robin Cooks. You know, you very rarely get that kind of success beyond those people. And I almost didn't write under my name. Mm-hmm. I almost you, made a, you made a point earlier when you had talked about, it's about the dollar 
and yes and, and it about sales and about that and it's like you know I didn't think about it until you had mentioned it Darnell and because it's it's about the promotion it's about the how can we make the most money out of this product or this person or this and yeah a lot of times that's what the case is is because of the person's name or the way they look um or whatever it is and it yeah unless you sound white with a white name uh mike yes. smith or something yeah and th- that yeah. makes a lot of sense it really does yeah well you know when i think about it right now we have we have you we have paula we have jessica guests we have uh, Rath James White is probably the one with an independent horror who probably pushed as a, but he really was one of the the earlier like splatterpunk authors too. Mm-hmm. So he kind of mm-hmm. came on the scene at the same time as Ed Lee when splatterpunk was really just starting to take off. So he came in at the right moment too. But there are when I think about it, you know, there there are not a lot of african-american or hispanic folks writing right now and when you start considering who's writing uh horror from within the asian communities the people that they most commonly think of are are like junji ito who does manga Mm -hmm. and then right now cassandra Ka Mm -hmm. has made a name for herself um but that those are really the, the the ones that you hear about the most and then within the Hispanic community, like we have V Castro, we have mm-hmm. Carmen, Carmen Machado, but you know, the names don't come as quick and freely as they do with mm-hmm. the other, you know, cisgendered white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's frustrating. Same- it's frustrating. I think, so part of it, so I think that part of it is because like I like I completely agree with you. I think part of it is just so like and again this is i am not a comprehensive you know like fount of knowledge on uh like horror literature and like in the indie scene and all that part of it is because like quite often like the same 20 people get recommended like the same 20 writers get recommended over and over and over and over and over again right um and very rarely are there non-white people included in that you know in that that pantheon i'm not saying that it doesn't change over time it does um but the same stuff gets recommended over and over again and this is why it's so important like you know thankfully to people who do reviews on tiktok and instagram and elsewhere and purposefully look for writing and work by other folks not just not to the exclusion of like you know um cishet white men but like reviewers who actively seek out people of a more diverse um you know diverse folk who seek out diverse voices um to recommend those people to readers because one of the things I have seen recently that I find really heartening is I have seen readers who are like okay I have never read a horror story written by you know like a trans person can somebody recommend something to me or I've never read a horror story I might have to move my car um Okay, I think we're fine. Sorry. I've never read a horror story written by um, a, you know, a, a, a Black person, or I've never read a horror story written by, like, whoever. And so 
the the reviewers have a lot of power i think i think reviewers have a lot of power so if you you know work in the reviewing you know zone of horror because it's all you know like it all matters it's all interconnected um you know make it make an effort to review work by people by different then people different than the same 20 folks whose names we've right. been talking about over the last several years you know yeah, absolutely. Now, Mikey primarily focuses on film, but you've really, really made that the foundation of your social media presence is to really focus on horror film from Hispanic, Latin movie directors, writers, creators, producers. And I think that's made a huge impact on... The, the films that horror fans are actually seeking out because it is still very true that besides Jordan Peele and what's the name of the young woman who just did the Candyman remake? Why is that? Can- yes, yes, yes. Um, we're, not, we're not seeing a lot of that being put into focus. And, you know, Hispanic and Latin filmmakers, especially in the late 60s through the 70s, were, oh, in the 80s and 90s, were making some incredible visual art. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And not a lot mm-hmm. of people actually know about it. Like, most of your horror film fanatics are going to sit and they're going to be like, ooh, Argento, Craven, mm-hmm. Clive Barker. But they don't realize all of these geniuses that made art that's so much more than anything we've seen in mainstream American horror. So, and I, I really appreciate that because I think a lot of younger people who follow you are now picking up on all of this and going and giving it the attention it deserves. And, you know, I will say too that um, a lot of it does deal with, like I was thinking about what you guys talking about the writers. And um, a while back, I was trying to find a bunch of um, just like Latino screenwriters. And there wasn't many. And the ones I did find are typically writers and directors, which, you know, you know, like just kind of putting two to two together, which means like they couldn't find like the big studios most likely didn't want it. And that's why. Yeah. So like, like Gigi Saungarero, like, she, you know, she started off as a writer director and luckily now she's with Blumhouse. So we're getting all these good films from her or like even Isa Lopez, you know, she had to make her own film with uh, Tigers and Not Afraid. Yeah, and mm. even even George Romero, you know, like um, he was a writer and director, an indie um, director yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, wow. and that has a lot to do with um, why there's such a lack of rep- representation. Oh, absolutely. So mm. you know, friends, we are all very, very much huge horror fans. If we weren't, <laughs> we wouldn't be here together right now. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> My really big question is how do we reconcile the cognitive dissonance that attacks us and comes along with being fans of a genre that tends to lean towards things like homophobia, misogyny, racist tropes? Like how do we how do we kind of come to terms with that? Like we know this is a problem. We know it's an issue. Mm-hmm. What was it about this genre that made us love it anyway? I love this question. I'm not going to answer, but I just, I, I mean, I am going to answer eventually, but I just, I love this question so much, but anyway, go on. <laughs> yes, please tell me. I... Well, go ahead, Darnell. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, me personally, uh, I really 
I think it's important to have conversations like this. I think it's important to have people like Darnell and Paula who are actively writing source material and putting those characters out there. Uh, I'm a member of the LGBT community as well. So I'm a minority and I'm also representation represented in a different way as well. So for me, it's not so much that I seek out those specific characteristics or those specific tropes. When it happens, it makes me happy. And I really like seeing it. And it's like, oh my gosh, you just feel like you're that connected to the characters or the writing um, so much more. And it, it really does make it make a big difference on the reader or the person watching the movie when they are able to see that representation. And for us to move forward, like I said, it's, it's definitely to have conversations like this and to encourage, um, you know, Paula and Darnell, other people writing that, yeah, you are a person of color, you are a person of different gender or mix, whatever it is, go out and do it because we need your voice. Mm -hmm. oh yeah well said well said well i said. really really hope think... the generations coming up will move beyond that too i think it's a it's more of a concerted effort we have been we have been brainwashed or conditioned to believe that this is a competition not a brotherhood mm -hmm. mm. That, that we are conditioned to believe that we have to get that next viewer or that next, you know, reader above all else. Yeah. And when we come to a point that we understand that what I write may not be what you write and there's a there's an audience for what you write or for what I write and back each other up. I think it has to be a concerted effort that we cannot stand and say, well, I'm in competition against you. You're going to read my book and you're going to read my book. Mm -hmm. suggest other people in you know within your genre or suggest other people of color or whatever nationality you may be or suggest other people and I think it's a concerted effort we need to make a concerted effort um it's just that when when you get together and it seems like everybody's holding their secrets or holding their connections to themselves mm -hmm. and once we get past that I think that we can see more of us represented in a more positive light or in a more different light. But until then, we have to get out of that mentality that it's a competition. And it's mm -hmm. not a competition because there's a, there are enough readers. There are over 8 billion people in this world. There's enough readers for everybody. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and we're trying to recruit more. You know, <laughs> really, and honestly, because TikTok's demographic is very, very young. And I think Mikey and, and Jesse and I can all speak to this. That <laughs> the majority of the people who follow me are teenage girls. Like literally over 80% are teenage girls. Now, I don't know about Jesse and Mikey, what your gender demographic looks like, but I can guarantee that most of your followers are under the age of 25. <laughs> so, Right. Right, my friends. Yeah. I'd be interested to. I'd be interested to find out for sure. So check your analytics because it's in there, and you'll know the answer to that one. Okay. Um, 
But I think it's really important, like Polly, you had mentioned earlier, the reviewers have a lot of responsibility in this as well. Like we need to be out there. Oh, Mikey's already doing it. Jesse and I, we review whatever gets sent our way. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I think it is really important for us. The big reason I wanted to do this whole Hidden Voices of Horror discussion series is because these are the groups within the genre that are not getting enough attention mm-hmm. and it, there's genius ma- genius material floating around out here that nobody's seeing because they're not hearing about it which is why we're really trying to give as much of it as we possibly can to these teenagers who are like i want to read the most fucked up shit you can recommend to me <laughs> like <laughs> i got you not only that check this out <laughs> i have i have seen some of your videos Marion. <laughs> some, some of the stuff you read <laughs> i mean mike <my>, oh <laughs> insane you yeah, yeah you you yeah, one yeah. sick puppy it's all it's so good. It's so good. Though. I'm like, where's my Chandler Morrison? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't bring my Erica Rocco with me, but I was just, I was reading, I, I was reading, um, oh, what is it? The one that just came out. Um, oh, you oh, lost a lot of blood. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, 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 um, but I, I, I did want to also kind of just add that, you know, like, cause I think kind of what, um, like what Darnell was saying, um, and that, you know, we all have a lot of, we, we have more power than I think we think we do. Um, mm-hmm. and one of the like people on Twitter that I think does, and, it, and there's a lot of people on Twitter who do this, who are in the horror writing community, whether indie or more mainstream or otherwise, um, Gabino Iglesias does an amazing job of like giving shout outs to other writers across, you know, the various spectrums or spectra. And there are other, like, there are so many other writers who did as well, like Haley Piper comes to mind. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I think that that is one of the, like, you know, again, it's, it's about like not seeing it as, as competition, like Darnell was saying, seeing it more as community. Like when one of us wins, we all win. So like there's like there are plenty of readers to go around to and I like I'm certainly like I'm a member of the LGBTQ community as well. And like I I you know, I don't just want to read stories about people like me, but I sure enjoy it when I can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like um I I I feel like you know, people want to read a variety of things for the most part, unless they have some sort of weird bigoted notion. And that's a different, I mean, that's a related issue, but like that requires a different sort of intervention, I think. But, you know, I think being open to reading stuff that doesn't um, cater to like a sort of mainstream um, sort of traditional narrative, I think is really important. I think kind of encouraging people to to do that like it's okay to read stuff that's written by people who are like you but you also want to like I I need to challenge myself to do that like to read people who are different than me like you know it's not like oh I checked all my token boxes so I'm just gonna read people who look like me you know like that's that's uh that's not healthy or or you know moving the genre forward for me either like we all can can do better on that I think 
Well, I think, you know, that also takes us back to what we were just talking about, too, though. Like, these authors aren't getting enough promotion. Like, they're out there. The books are out there. Mm -hmm. The films are out there. But the effort and enthusiasm that Mm -hmm. goes behind the amount of promotion that they're getting is not there. It's not. And And people will say they don't, they don't know how to promote, you know, I don't know how to promote black horror or I don't know how to promote uh it's you know, horror you promote it like, like right you just you promote like it, it like you would anything else like right absolutely yeah but I, I hear that all the time I hear that fairly often or like particularly if it's um you know like from from any of the sort of marginalized communities like if it's uh like LGBTQ stuff people are like I don't know how to um I don't know how to promote this like you promote it like you win anything else like you just, mm-hmm. you're honest about the material you yeah. give people a reason to be intrigued by it you make some cool art that's it it's not it's not that hard um and but there's such a fear around like and a reluctance to just try to challenge, you know, to challenge the way, again, the way things have always, um, the, the way have always, have always been done. And just for, you know, an example, um, when my book came out, it's available through Amazon. Um, I am looking into maybe, I don't know, I'm looking into Godless, I'm just, we'll see. But um, uh, I, my book came out, I had to choose the category my publisher and I had to choose which category would it be under LGBTQ horror or uh black and African-American horror and I had to choose and I was like this is super awkward like I don't well, yeah why should you have Stupid. to choose why like that really choose? bothers yeah. me yeah and it was like man this is a very um you know a very what's the word like like this I is, feel like they put you in a box, though. Yeah, it's like, like they real, just like literally, yeah, yeah. And then you, that's why you, and that's why that you get buried under all this yeah. other stuff is because yes. they can't quite find you just in the horror. Yeah, you're that's labeled right. as yeah. LGBTQ yes. or Black mm-hmm. horror, or it's mm-hmm. like that's not right. Well, you yeah. know, I think it's one of those catch twenty two things is that by creating an LGBTQ horror genre or an African American horror genre, they're saying, "Oh well, we're giving you a highlight. Like this is your spotlight. Mm-hmm. This is your mm-hmm. genre." When in all actuality, it just pulls you out of the it's larger kind of pool, the larger. right? Yeah, and like you said, Jesse, it buries you under all of this other content. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually just met with the LGBTQ panel last Friday. There's a lot of very common themes that come up here between these two conversations. And something that popped up with them that I didn't see coming. I'm going to catch you guys off guard here because this was not in any of the material that I sent you. But one of the themes that kept coming up for us was respectability politics. Ooh. Because I I am I myself I identify as pansexual. I love everybody. It don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) It does not matter if you're beautiful. Come here. Um, But you know, I one of the people on my panel was Roland Bursty Jr. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Roland or if you've ever had the pleasure of getting to know him. He is an African American gay man. 
And he was talking about how he has not really highlighted a lot of LGBTQ themes within his own books. And he himself is a gay man. Mm -hmm. He is currently writing a book that involves one of his lead characters going to a bathhouse, which can be a touchy subject within Mm -hmm. the gay community. And he sat back and was wondering if he should really write it this way because he is afraid by putting something out that would make the gay community appear somewhat less respectable okay first of all would he be would i know i told him i sent him like i sent him the link to bathhouse because it was one of the best we need this content we need his voice so if he's listening tell him yes we need his content so agreed another theme that (laughs) Mm -hmm. came up was that oftentimes members of the lgbtq community will become hurt or uh present as somewhat offended when characters who are identified as homosexual queer folks trans whatever they get they get upset if those characters are the bad guys kind of losing sight the fact that it doesn't matter who you are what gender you are what your sexuality is what color your skin is if you're a human you have potential to be a total piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's horror. Humans, humans are terrible. Those are the like, scariest oh, books. Yes. That's the scariest content. Usually, is when a human is the protect. You know, the the villain because mm-hmm. that shit happens all the time. Sorry, my language, but yeah. you came. Are you came horrible. to the right fucking podcast, friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. So here's my question for you guys. Has has there ever been a piece of horror art or within your own works, a theme or a situation that you did not want to write or a, a movie or a book that you were worried about reviewing or talking about because you were afraid how the rest of the community would perceive those characterizations? In regards to respectability politics, like how do we remain, how do we get the respect and the political parity we want if we as a community are not always seen as, I hate to say it, but perfect? How do we break these stereotypes if we show these characters to be flawed? Like, are those questions that you've ever had to conquer? Well, it should be, it should be that whatever character you write should be relatable period. I believe that first and foremost, um, the characters, even with the time period should be relatable to, to whenever you read this book or whenever you see this movie, it should be, it should have characters that are relatable. Um, we are also, we as people of color, we as black people are stuck in, in a certain genre that we can't write horror we are only stuck toward, you know, the black urban fiction or that kind of thing, the black erotic fiction. That's where we stuck. And that's where we get the most exposure. If you decide to write outside of that, then you have to appeal to another genre or another group mm-hmm. of people. And that is already saturated with, with you know, the, the readers and the people in that genre. Now, 
we always, we all of us have to have a balance as far as to what we write and who we write for, but it shouldn't be that way. If you're a reader and, and I like this kind of horror or this kind of book or this kind of book, you should be able to read any and every author, regardless of their color. And I made mention of that earlier. I almost didn't write under my name for that very mm -hmm. reason. And you know, Darnell, this kills me. And again, I'm going to lead us into a conversation here that I did not warn you about. But what really bothers me about this the most is that Hispanic, Latin, African-American, Black communities have experienced the most intensely horrific real-life terror out of any other communities on this planet. You know, even like Asian countries, uh, Cambodia, Phil the Philippines, mm -hmm. Vietnam, these mm -hmm. are real life horrors. It is the horror of white colonialism. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I, I am a white woman. I understand my privilege. I know full well. And I know that it is my responsibility to use that to help and support my friends. I, it kills me that you have been so pigeonholed when your communities are the ones who truly understand what horror is, what human sociological, psychological horror is. Even Love, Love, Lovecraft Country was written by a white dude, wasn't it? Right. Yep. Yeah. Sure was. Okay. So yeah. great book. Love the spotlight that it put on the absolute nightmare that was Jim Crow America mm -hmm. and the pieces of that that still linger mm -hmm. but the fact that that book had to be written by a white man to get any sort of leverage or ground that destroys me that destroys mm -hmm. me like I feel mm -hmm. like this should be your place this is this is uh, sorry my, my, brain's on, my brain's on fire right now <laughs> kind of to piggyback what Darnell was saying is uh, I know that growing up for me in our household, we were always taught to just stay quiet. Don't say anything. Oh my God. You oh. know? And so it's generational though. And that's the thing is we were always taught, stay quiet, mind your own business. Don't get involved. This, And that type of mentality subconsciously really plays a part of how we pick things to read and watch mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I think that's where we personally have to take, like Darnell said, take responsibility of those and, and break the molds. You know, that's, we need to pick that up. That is a really, really good point, my friends. And uh, a personal example, my husband is a full-blooded Spanish, European Spanish Basque, but his father, grandfather, grandmother brought their children over to Puerto Rico. And then they came from Puerto Rico into the New York City area. My father-in-law refused to teach my husband and his sisters how to speak Spanish mm -hmm. because he mm -hmm. wanted them to be real Americans. Right. And he wanted them to be perceived as real Americans. His, my husband's grandmother never learned how to speak English. So his entire life, this woman that he loved so much, he never, never could fully communicate with her 
because his dad was so focused on making him a true American. And that meant eliminating his family, his culture's language. His his culture. God rest your soul, Frank. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, my my husband even gave him a a good, strong biblical name, Matthew John. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right? Echevarria. And Matthew will tell you, like, I would have so many more opportunities available to me right now if I was bilingual. The irony. Yeah. Yes. And then we can't even, like, I have these, I have all these, I have three children who are obviously of, of Spanish descent. And none of them can speak Spanish because my husband doesn't know. Like, we're trying to teach them, but it's much easier when you grow up immersed in the language. Exactly. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Like, we're fighting against these generational traumas that I think really affect how we're moving the genre forward and the contributions to the genre. Well, I tell you like this, um, my first book, you know, you read Curse of Plantation. Um, yes. It takes place during slavery. Yes. And that's a very touchy subject. It's mm-hmm. a very touchy subject. And I sort of hesitated on writing about that subject because it is a touchy subject. It is, mm-hmm. but I had to write a revenge angle for it somehow. Oh my God. And <laughs> That's what I makes know. I'm going to so go buy fantastic. this book right now. Yeah, oh, like big all time. of you. Big I time. cannot, I cannot, cannot recommend this book enough. The wonderful thing about this book is that you write this fantastic revenge tale, but you do not minimize the horror of it in any way, shape, or form form like the revenge that that protagonist is able to enact upon these particular people it doesn't negate or make any of it any better you know what I mean sometimes we tend it tends to like just make everything that came before okay because we've had revenge now but no the brutality of what that woman experiences prior to using her own culture and her own spirituality to enact this revenge on them, which is an even better piece to all of this. She doesn't need anybody else to do this. She does this herself from inside her soul. And, and where that comes from inside her, of her soul is her religion and her culture. And that's what makes it so fantastic. It's just wonderful. It's, it's a very empowering book you you just it's full of strength i i love it i love it sorry i went on a tangent (laughs) 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 you know there's something i noticed in mainstream horror though is that um they don't really um well like well like how darnell hard darnell said was like it's it's kind of scary going into these um past like horrific situations because like in, in horror, there aren't many horror films like that. I mean, in American horror. But if you go to uh, like in, in Canada, you know, there's just one that recently came out in 2019 called Blood Quantum, which yes. is about, oh, um, that you know, indigenous yeah. colonization. Well, colonization so to the indigenous people. So good. Or on Latin American films. There's a lot of them that deal with colonization, but, it, you know, there's not too many American films like that. And it really sucks. So I'm glad that like, like um, Darnell's book is out there because this is stuff that I would love to see in American mainstream stuff or American horror genre. Yes. You know, another uh, very important group of people that I was not able to find a representative for were our indigenous communities. 
-hmm. either within Canada or North America or anywhere. But again, they suffer with such terrible tropes and stereotypes. They still are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it, it just... Some it, of the Native American folklore is so beautiful. And a lot of their folklore are creatures of the forest and spirits from mm-hmm. past warriors. Um, and I, like, how fantastic would that be to read? And oh my God. I would encourage yeah. anybody who's Native American, Indigenous, like some of those stories should be brought to life. I, you know, I would, if I was a writer, I'd probably sort seek some of that stuff out for sure. And it's great source material. It also would shine a light on mm-hmm. their culture, their heritage and their peoples as well. So, yes. So there is a, an author reviewer who is involved in independent horror. His name is Shane Hawk. Oh, and yeah. he does focus on uh, indigenous themes and indigenous history in his work oh yeah 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 there you go there you go um (laughs) he was not available to join us for this but he's one of the few people out there and i really wonder like are they experiencing these same barriers that you all are are identifying as far as of course joining into the Mm -hmm. the the community and like putting their art out into the universe to be seen like is it about the respectability politics is it about being concerned about how the community is will be seen is it worried that you're just going to get buried under everybody else's stuff all the white people stuff it's just mm, it's so frustrating to me um for those of you who are listening uh and watching if you suddenly realize that paula's voice has kind of dropped away she had to step away i don't know if she'll be able to come back but uh, Paul, it was wonderful having you here. If we don't get you back for the ep- the rest of the episode, um, so what books or movies would you recommend to people who are looking for art that transcends the common bullshit tropes that we've identified? I'll start off. Yeah, um, go for I it. think so. There's a film last year called Bingo Hill. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. No, what's it's the by fir- um. Okay, so the, the director is by, um, I mentioned her already, uh, Gigi Garza um, Guerrero. Okay. And um, I think this does, so what I love about this film is that it grabs a bunch of minorities. So we see a bunch of, um, so there's a bunch of minorities. Is that an A24 and, film? No, no, no. It's actually by Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it, it, it's free for those who have Prime. Yeah. And um, it's, so it's about gentrification. Um, and what I also liked about it is like, it's, all starring older, um, the older generation. So not only do we get like POC characters, you also get the older generation of POCs and they're in a horror film and they're just having so much fun. And like, it's just, it's a great film that oh my God. is, I, I highly recommend it. Like it, it's, it's a little like um shock, like schlocky and stuff, but it's just so fun. And it's like a- That makes it even better. Yeah, I, I was just <laughs> check it out. <laughs> so yeah, well, again, what was bingo, the right? title of it the, again? Uh, bingo Hell, I'm sorry? Oh, just, Bingo well, Hell, They're sitting there playing yes. Bingo. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the devil comes. The (laughs) devil shows up and he starts running the games. Yeah, yeah. And then the devil, I can't remember his name, but it's like the old white guy from... uh, Yes, yes. uh, Yeah, yeah, that guy. I can't remember his name, but but it's it's, it's great. You know, I always go back to Romero's 
uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Because I feel like even though they are almost, oh my God, you guys, almost 50 years old at this point in time, they really were the (laughs) first time we saw African-American male protagonists really take the lead and be the hero of the day. And that Mm -hmm. was quite ahead of its time. Darnell, Jesse, what about you? What would you recommend for people who are looking for stuff that transcends the tropes? Um, as far as a few of the books that I've read, because I, at first I wasn't seeking out um, people of color, LGBTQ content, but now that I know it's out there, I am starting to consume more of it. But um, the book Shane by Shane Hawk Anoka would be a good place to start if you are really liking or into indigenous horror. Um, that would be a good place to start. Uh, anything by V. Castro. Oh, yeah. She wrote Goddess of Filth, and I absolutely loved it. It was one of my favorite books that I read last year. She puts this, she brings this like ancient Aztec um, characters and spirits and mythology into her books, which are fantastic. She's become one of my favorite uh, authors as, as of late. Yes. Um, so those are two great places to start if you are looking for um a place to like is that a place to start so <laughs> mm-hmm. i appreciate that because i haven't seen anything represented since the manitou yeah absolutely you I know i've seen anything since then a super popular book last year that was actually one of the more frightening books i've read in a while was stolen tongues but it is written by a caucasian man named Felix Blackwell. The story in and of itself was amazing and fantastic, but it caught a lot of heat because he used indigenous mythology to fuel the nightmarish creature that was the antagonist of the book. And a lot of people were like, yo, man, you all have the right. Like they couldn't even really figure out, is it, is it a Wendigo? Is it a skinwalker? Like, what are you actually trying to show us here? And mm-hmm. uh, despite how well written the book was, like it just didn't quite hit the mark when it came to representation because he just didn't know enough. Yeah. Another great book that I enjoyed last year, I know it came out in, I think in 2020 um, by Aiden Thomas was Cemetery Boys. Now Cemetery Boys is a fantastic Latin, excuse me, a Latinx, LGBTQ, YA, horror-themed book that is amazing. Uh, I fell in love with the characters, the traditions of the Latinx, uh, plus there's also trans and LGBTQ representation. Um, And I, I really enjoyed seeing myself in that book because of the characters. Um, so that's another one I want to throw out there as well. Yes. And I, thank you so much for m- mentioning that one, because it reminds me of the taking of Jake Livingston. Yes. That's on my list over here. <laughs> oh my God. Another, another, uh, YA book, but it's about a young man who becomes one of the only black students at a private school. He faces racism from, uh, students teachers but it's a ghost story it's mm-hmm. 100% a ghost story it's a very very spooky and it's super heavy not just on um the socio-cultural issue that it highlights but also mental health 
uh, uh, queer politics, like all kinds of stuff. Exceptional book. Exceptional. Yeah, I haven't got to it yet, but it's definitely on my TBR. That's uh, my cart, if you can't tell, is already like 65 books deep, but. <laughs> ah, I feel you. Ah, ah, relatable. <laughs> But Darnell, Darnell, are there any? I'm definitely getting your book next. So <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate that. I feel honored. Thank you. I was yeah, gonna say, sounds e- great. even if he doesn't want to recommend his own book as an option for this <laughs> category of books that transcend tropes, I'm gonna <laughs> behalf of D.E. Grant, let me just recommend cursed cursed plantation and cursed mm-hmm. place. Because they meet this criteria 100%. Awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. I, you. <laughs> I don't like tooting my own horn, but sometimes <laughs> I, I, I allow the readers to do that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So, guys, how would you like to see horror creators improve the representation of minority communities within the genre? What would you like to see more of? Some of my favorite, I'm going to talk about movies and the books, but some of my favorite movies that I've had the most fun with are movies like Candyman, Tales from the Hood, um, those type of movies, like, because they're so relatable. And I feel that really people shy away from because they don't want to get blacklisted or they don't want to be put on a a pet you know an area that's where it's like well sensitive content it's like no we need that stuff we need those voices we need to see that representation on film and 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 empower those people and and as far as books go I think we're at the start of this huge spike in authors of color authors of queer representation so we're on the precipice of a major boom. And I, I, me personally, I feel like it's coming. Um, and I can't wait to see more representation. Even if your character happens to be Latin American or happens to be African American, they can be the heroes. They can be the people who save the day. Because at the end of the day, these are the people who are the hardest working, who are putting themselves out there and putting others first to make it, to make it through life. Okay. I th- these are the, uh, your, oh, your communities have risen above so much challenge and struggle and just oh, like the, you are the heroes. <laughs> Like, if anybody knows what it is to be up against real-life horror, it's the members of these communities. Like, give me a freaking break. How are we not highlighting this more? Right. Like, we already talked about the real world is the most frightening place you can possibly Mm -hmm. be. Like, how are we not respecting the real-life horrors that your cultures and your communities have already experienced, and yet you're still out here fighting kicking making sure you are visible and making sure you're receiving the parody that you deserve we need to see it within horror as well not just as the trope, period not as mm-hmm. the, the funny yes, black not, as, not the as the first person the to die not as the first person exactly. to die right. Or... <laughs> right. not as the mythical 
the mythical godmother, the mythical godfather mm. who comes the in. The mythical other. Oh my God, mm -hmm. yes. And you know, for the Asian communities, please, please stop representing them as either the dragon ladies or the ancient Fu Manchu style <laughs> curiosity <laughs> shop owner who unleashes some kind of cosmic creature horror upon gremlins like, into, into, <laughs> I was just gonna say into the hands of a bumbling white man and not just gremlins I always I also always think about little shop of horrors too because oh, it's that yeah. same Fu Manchu style Asian guy big trouble little China like it's mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know what i have to say if anybody can prove me wrong and if anybody can send me in the direction of a horror movie or a horror book that's founded on um the beliefs and mythology of mongolian culture by all means please do because i don't think it exists like one of my favorite bands is the who h-u it's Mongolian heavy metal, but it's very, very much rooted in our traditional music, which makes it incredible. It is wow. a very, awesome. there is incredibly rich spiritual history here within this culture. Um, it's very pagan in nature. They have um, that deep growl that like, yes, they I, like do. I love that. They yes. Do. Yes. yes. Oh, it's amazing. But the 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 spirituality is very much earth focused and it is very, mm -hmm. very, very similar to like the Eastern Europe or the yeah. Eastern European, like pagan cultures, very close to the Norse pagan beliefs, honestly. But I, I have not seen any, I I've never seen a horror movie or read a horror book that represents where half of my, half of me comes from. Right. Ever. And it just makes you happy to see that representation. Um, just reading it, you're just like, oh, okay, this is someone like me. This is a person that, that I can relate to. And yeah. I think that makes the experience more enjoyable is being able to see representation. And it doesn't have to be in every single thing I read, but knowing that that content is out there, knowing that there's there are people like me. Exactly, yeah. That it's out there. And, and it's not only... It's not only in books you find that, but you find that more in, in, in media, period, in television, things of that nature. It's beginning to change, mind you. It's beginning to mm -hmm. change. However, I think the change is one, overdue, and two, is not happening fast enough. Oh, right. absolutely. This country is stuck. This country is stuck when it comes to certain types of media. I think we're stuck when it comes to certain aspects of society we are stuck in certain aspects of our own history that we do not want to we want to just whitewash it all and pretend that it did not exist or it does not exist but we have to we have to we have to push that to the forefront we have to make that the forefront of our agenda as far as getting noticed or putting mm -hmm. our work before the quote right people so they will be able to represent us Right. Yes. see more of us in representation in media and in art period you're absolutely right you know jordan peele had a really great jumping off point that he could grow from because he was already mm -hmm. established within the industry mm -hmm. so as soon as he put yes. something unique out there that seemed like it could make money they jumped all over it 
And it certainly doesn't hurt that what he did was fantastic. Mm. You see, that's a that's a that's the catalyst right here. Is Jordan Peele was able to be successful as a black man to make that kind of content and be successful at it. And I feel like now more people of color are able to see that representation. And now Mm -hmm. they can be like, oh, you know what? I can be the next Jordan Peele. I can be the next Darnell Grant. I can be a fantastic writer in this community and I'm going to do it. So. And I think it's very, very important, jumping off of what both of you said, that we do not allow the momentum of that trajectory to fade. Mm -hmm. It needs to keep being pushed along. Like the enthusiasm needs to remain. Like you see these people, you see what they've done, do it because Mm -hmm. you can go do it. You have it inside of you. You are fully capable of it. And there are people out here that want it. We want to see it. We want to watch it. We want to read it. Bring it to us. Put it out here. Don't I just think double guess. I just think that 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 horror needs to change as far as our genre is concerned. It needs to change its direction because you see the same formula over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. Oh yeah. And for me, I've become desensitized. None of that scares Mm -hmm. me. None of that intrigues me because Mm -hmm. I know sooner or later these things are going to come into the formula to of the movie. You don't. There's no excitement to it anymore. I don't. I cannot remember a movie that I've been really excited to see yeah. and glad I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know I am really um, excited, like where the horror genre is going, because um, like one thing that I noticed this year alone is that like a lot of these stories aren't just focusing on the trauma because they're part of the, like the LGBTQ um, community or POC. Like they're just regular people and that's that's one thing i'm really enjoying is like with the scream so like um if you look at the cast of characters there was a lot of um in scream 22 um there was a lot of um there's a a lot of marginalized groups in there you know like from both um the lgbt community and pocs and in the end like the two final girls were two latinas you know what i mean and they were the ones who who, um, who survived everything yeah it survived and, <laughs> and it was awesome you know well, that like, was kind of similar to texas chainsaw the most recent texas chainsaw yeah exactly too, and right? yeah. yeah and with that one you know there was actually a lot of latino talent behind the camera oh and yeah. that's something and that's what i was talking about earlier is that we need more of that as well because um the director david blue garcia he started off as a writer director and for his first film which is called tejano which is a really good like thriller and, you know, and like, and they picked him up for uh, his cha- the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the script itself, you know, wasn't that great, but he didn't write it. So, <laughs> but I mean, it's not his fault. but it looked beautiful, you know, it did. Exactly. It so that's not his fault, but visually it was amazing. And I loved it, you know, <laughs> but so many times in film, they have to, people of color and in general, minorities have to write, produce. Exactly. market and do everything themselves because mm-hmm. a lot of these big studios aren't backing those types of projects yeah. and that's yeah. why i love people like like this who are able to step out mm-hmm. and yeah they do have to put their own money forward and do have to do all the work for themselves but you know it takes a couple of pioneers a couple of those people to break the mold for everybody yeah. else. Robert and Rodriguez, he's the first one exactly. that I think of for more modern mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. 
But honestly, I think if we are truly honest with ourselves, it wasn't until Tarantino really started to support him and talk him up that he got mm-hmm. the play that he deserved. Yeah. You know, so again, it was so. like, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Desperado has always been one of my favorites. Oh, that love movie. Oh my god, give me all the benders. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's still again, it wasn't until Tarantino was like, "Hey, mm-hmm. this guy's a genius." Right. <laughs> People actually sat up and were like, "Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> this movie is amazing." Mm-hmm. Ah, so there's always there's always just like the little little catch in there too, in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, just for one thing, like me personally, it took me a long time to accept um, my queerness and and being out as well. So I think a lot of us, like you said, have voices, and we are power more powerful than we think. Oh yes, and a lot of it is we need to trust in ourselves as a person and then as a community to support each other for that. And once that happens, that's, you know, we, we personally need to stop being afraid of what someone else is going to think or what someone else is going to say and just push through. And I've seen a change in myself personally, being able to accept that. And once I have, it's, it's opened my eyes and you're seeing the world in a different, different light. Absolutely. See, that's going to have to happen in society as a whole. Right. Because, because as being, you know, person of color, being Latino, being, and then being part of an even smaller minority is going to have to take a louder voice to be heard. It's going to. And I mean, you being, you being, you know, being Latino and being gay as well, that you have to speak even louder to, in order to be heard. And everybody mm-hmm. who has an ultimate um, alternative lifestyle, that's just a politically correct way of saying it. Mm-hmm. But having that, uh, that pushes you away, away from at large America. It's unfortunate, right. but it's true. It's true. It I is. Mean, for those who are dealing with, with barriers to corporate America, being black, being Latino, mm-hmm. being gay, being whatever, you're being pushed further back. So that means you have to get even louder in order to be heard and recognized. And once those communities come together, regardless of who you are, what you are, or, or everything else, be able to get together, we do have a lot of power. We have more power than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. I believe that. My yeah. believe God, that. yes. And we can push, then yes, I think we can accomplish some things. Oh, 100%. Uh-huh. Well, friends, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I've really, I'm, I think this conversation has been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> this has yes. been wonderful. And I'm really excited for people to hear this episode. Um, if after this airs, we have listeners who would like to reach out to you to contact you, do you feel comfortable with that for one? And if yes, where would be the best place for them to find you? Wow, I can be found. I can find. I can be found on social media, of course, um, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram. 
I can also be found on my own website. I have hey. a own website, darnellgrant.com, my own, my own website. Um, I can be contacted via email at curseplantation.com at yahoo.com. So I can be contacted any number of ways. I welcome that. I really do. Because that allows my unique voice to get out there. And anybody else's that, you know, needs to get out there, I surely support it. Every now and again, I, I support and I hype other authors, you know, not just for not just tooting my own horn because I can do that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, As you should. I want other people to be able to have a voice as well. So I, I give, you know, I give credit to other authors who have written some fantastic stuff out there. There is mm -hmm. some fantastic stuff out there. And I, I take I, I thank you, Jesse, for the for the confirm, you know, for the for the um giving me the the, the direction to go to in order to give other people voices that I would want to hear as well, or, or it needs to be heard. I appreciate that, Jesse, very much so. And oh, you I appreciate you as well. I mean, your, your voice and your experience as being a person of color, we need your voice as well in our community. And it's, it's, we need it, honestly. It, that's, <laughs> it's needed, period. Yeah, for sure. Something I would really, really love to see happen within the next few years is the rise of independent publishing companies run and founded by POC people. Mm -hmm. I want an independent mm -hmm. publishing company from Hispanic Latin horror artists. I want a publishing company, Darnell, Paula, I want a publishing company <laughs> from African American artists. <laughs> Do it, Darnell. I think. I think. <laughs> I heard. I heard. This is what we need, though. We need. I think it'll really help other horror artists feel more empowered, right? To create what they want to create when they feel the support of other community members behind them saying yes we're going to support you we're going to help you get this out here we're going to give you tips on how to promote we're going to send you in the direction of reviewers who we know will be all over this and who will help get your name and your work out there like i think that would be hugely impactful on anybody who knows forward. jordan Paul, um jordan peel's information let me know because <laughs> <laughs> he's got a great book that would be an excellent film that is, <laughs> that is my goal i want him to get a hold of it i really do because you know when he made get out yes get out and, and us and that movie was just about us and it was it was great and and that that inspires me if i can get that book in front of that man I mm -hmm. think that it would be it would be great because it does touch a subject that 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 America doesn't want to deal with, but it will bring it to the forefront because that's part of our history. We can't avoid it. It's part of our history. Absolutely. So I would love that. And there's a lot of others, but they're dealing in such a realm that it's hard for the the, the people in the corner, mm -hmm. more or less, to yeah. get heard. So you have to scream a little louder 
Oh yeah. I'm screaming, Jordan Peele. Yeah. <laughs> 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 There's a lot of great content out there by, by people of all races and all nationalities and all, you know, regardless of who they are. You know, we, we put so much emphasis on, on our sexuality. And I don't, and, and I tell people all the time, I do not have to carry a sign saying I'm straight. I don't exactly. have to, it's not a political issue. It yeah. should never be a political issue. Yeah. It absolutely. should never be a political issue. Who you, who you have your intimate relationship with is your business. Yeah, absolutely. And yet we cannot change the physical traits that identify us culturally yeah that's true we can't like you 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 can quietly if i didn't say hey i'm pansexual i'm married i got three kids you would assume i'm just a het lady no i'm not but underneath because it all, you Marian, can't see that <laughs> underneath you know? it all, like, we yeah. all breathe we all eat we all have exactly. a heart we all have we are the same exactly. we are the same underneath it all at the end of the day that's yeah. that's what it is exactly. yes and if more mm-hmm. people would really ascribe to that, things would be a lot different. Right. <laughs> Mikey, Jesse, I'm so sorry. We went off on another tangent. It was really funny. It was beautiful. Screw you guys. Um, <laughs> I, told, I told you that the conversation would take a life of its own, didn't I? Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> If people would like to reach out to you amazing gentlemen, where can they find you? How would you like them to hit you up? Go ahead, Mikey. Okay. So um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under um, at Mikey Peralta Jr. And yeah, that's pretty much all my socials you can um, find me on. So luckily, it's all all the same. Now, (laughs) when it comes to your work with Dread Central, can they go... You I always, always forget to, uh, to uh, mention that. Did, 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 you hear, did you hear these nonsense words? That I know, just I'm sorry. Out of I'm his sorry. Mouth? He's like, yeah, I forgot that I write actual. No, I mean, it's not like that. For a national <laughs> publication. <laughs> I, tease, not like that. I tease you. I tease I know, you. I know, I know. Um, um, can they just go to Dread Central and like search for you in the, the search functionality and find mm-hmm. your articles or? I'm not entirely sure, but um, okay. the. I think they have a section called editorials and okay. um, on the titles, it would just say horror in Espanol. And those are just all of my, <gasps> nice. Uh, okay. Perfect. All of my, uh, what's it called? Very good. my reviews and stuff. Awesome. Cool. Jesse. And I am just a simple book talker, books, grammar, YouTuber. Um, you can find me at words, um, paper official and it's underscore between every word. So words on paper official just underscore every word look there is nothing run-of-the-mill average about us buddy (laughs) (laughs) true as a fellow book talker instagrammer youtuber uh we're amazing (laughs) and we're better than everybody (laughs) i really do now i'm coming on on these amazing humans please refer to today's show notes 
or you can always come join us on the Mothers of Mayhem official Facebook group. I know that both D.E. Grant and Justin Morales, although on there he's Jesus Morales, are members of the Mom Facebook group. Mikey, I don't know if you're a member, but you're. I don't think Mikey's, so, but I will. Mikey's be. like hardly ever on Facebook, so <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We forgive. We forgive. Yeah. Yeah, TikTok's where the cool kids get to them. I'm old, so. <laughs> you can find links to our various social media accounts in the show bio and by visiting my link tree, which is on any of my the fuck did I just read accounts, TF did I just read. As always, you can send your questions, comments, insults to our email address mom extreme podcast at gmail.com that's m.o.m that extreme podcast at gmail.com i will never stop thinking singer songwriter songwriter amigo the devil for allowing us to use his song hungover in jonestown as our theme song please go check out his music you will not regret it it's actually really good oh my yeah, god really amigo the devil. speaking of another yes. hispanic powerhouse i'm so excited by the time this airs this will have already happened a month after but i'm going to see him on may 2nd and i cannot Ooh, nice. wait. i'm so excited nice. and i don't know if you you talked about uh bingo hell the movie bingo hell he has a song called uh murder at the bingo hall which always reminds me of that movie it's amazing <laughs> amazing um so again thank you so much my friends and until next time go raise some hell children make your weird book mommies proud bye everybody bye -bye. see ya bye, -bye. bye, -bye. <laughs>